to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Starr. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with the nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show. Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. Today, I am really excited to welcome Eric Lang. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing well, Riley. How are you? I'm so good. Really excited to have you on. Actually, when I started the podcast, somebody told me, make a list of five people you want to have on your show, and you were in that five list. So, oh my God, I'm one of the five. Yeah, one of That's the a, five. How myth, like That sounds so mythic, right? Like I, Now I feel like I need to be in a manga or something. Oh yeah. There's going to be a poster of you and Elizabeth Hargrave, and so I've had two of my five so far. Oh, awesome. Yeah. All right, well, then in that one, if, if it, then it's clearly animal-themed, i got to be the panda. <laughs> yes. Why the panda? Uh, I'm obsessed with pandas, and, and anybody, any, any of your viewers who follow me on social media probably this is not news to them, but, but yeah, I love, I've, I've loved pandas since I was a kid, and like, I love all animals, but I get obsessed with particular animals at any given time, and pandas have probably been my longest obsession. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. I'm bipolar, and so I always say that pandas are bipolar bears. There you go. I've, I've actually heard that one. Oh, really? I've heard, I've actually heard, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there's, there's, there, I mean, there's so many of these, right? Like, the, some people call them, like, the anti-racist bear. They're black and white and Asian, oh, yeah. right? And the, <laughs> um, I just, like, I just call them, I love them because they're, like, they're totally chill and the most ungraceful, large, theoretically ostensibly hunter animal that exists. Yeah. <laughs> I never see any videos of it hunting. You always see it like falling downstairs or... That's right, because that's what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is so wonderful. That's a great reason to have it be your favorite animal. That's right. This week. This week, yeah. <laughs> well, much like board games, right? Like uh, one of the hardest right. questions on this show is what's your favorite board game, which w- we might as well do that right now. But it, sure. it's hard because it changes. Of course. And and I, I'm going to, I'll bet you every other designer you've had, uh, past a certain time, I feel like, that most designers are going to dodge the question. I'm going to dodge it too, but I will try to dodge it artfully. Cool. Um, <laughs> so board games as a medium is something I'm obsessed with. So uh, like if you're asked, like if you put a gun to my head and said, you've got to answer this, I'd be like my favorite board game. I'm on the hunt for my favorite board game. And as soon as that hunt's over, I'm done with the medium. Hmm. Right. So, so that's the way I would dodge it. Uh, but, uh, like, uh, of course it changed. It doesn't even change every day. It changes contextually by mood, right? Like what's my favorite convention game? Probably times up. What's my favorite game to be obsessed. What is the game I play, put the most hours into probably poker. Like what is my favorite video game? Clearly world of Warcraft, right? Like, so, uh, like all three of those are true and not mutually exclusive to any, any degree. And see, not already. I was like, wait, wait, not actually World of Warcraft, but, but maybe. See, like, like I already want to change my mind. Right, <laughs> that makes but like, sense. World of Warcraft is the instant answer because it's uh, it's in my DNA. Like, I think uh, when I when I think about MMOs, I think through the lens of World of Warcraft. Even though I've played every MMO out there, that's just it's informed my thinking. Is that totally your jam? MMOs. That's like what you love in video. Games? It was. It was. Um, it. Um, I think World of Warcraft broke me actually on that. I used to love the promise of wide, like the endless vista, sandboxy, wide open vista. Of, like you can do anything. You can go anywhere. You see those mountains in the background. You can go there. You can explore the world. I used to be the Richard Bartles classic explorer player, right? And then, and then the idea, like World of Warcraft, popularized the theme park idea, right? Where it's just go around and run around and do fun planned act plan out an activity itinerary and go execute it and just have fun doing it on a casual level. I'm like, yeah, that's what I like. Forget exploration. I just want to go out and 
I just want to go out and, and, and like pick 10 flowers today or go do a dungeon run tomorrow. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite into that. That's really interesting. Do you ever take that kind of idea into design? Uh, consciously, no. Unconsciously, certainly. Yeah, I, I like. I never. I never think about a game. Like most of my favorite games, I almost never think. Oh, I want to adapt this to another medium or something, or I want to make a board game out of this. Almost never. XCOM yeah. was the only exception. Oh, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, directly, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's kind right. of the goal. Well, and the thing is, it wasn't my idea. Like I, I didn't go saying, "Oh, I want to make an XCOM game." FFG just told me they had the XCOM license. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, I got to do that. In fact, it's done. Like, as we're talking, I can see it. Right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Would Would you say you spend more time playing? I don't know how much you play video games. Would you spend more time playing video games or board games? Well, pandemic times, video games, of course. Right. But uh, otherwise, no board games, clear, uh, tabletop games by far. And you have to break that into playtesting versus playing for fun. Playing for fun, not nearly as much as I want to. Playtesting of course, w- w- like way too much. Yeah. Uh, playing for fun, we actually do as a discipline. Uh, my In the before times, uh, my wife and I used to go, like we used to, used to have a discipline where every Thursday night, was it Thursday? God, I don't remember. No, it was Wednesday. Every Wednesday night, we used to go to the local game store, whether or not we felt like it, because I work on games from nine to five every day. And at five o'clock, the last thing I want to go do is go play some games after I've been working <laughs> on them all day, right? We're like, no, no, we're going to go. We're going to go to the game store and we're just going to go like uh, because they had a game night right where the like that like 40 to 50 people just hanging out playing games like go sit down with a table play some games and i never felt like it i was all like oh god can we just watch netflix or something but by the time we get there i'm instantly glad we were there and love it and that's why but it has to be discipline the 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 getting out of the getting out of the house to do it in the first place is actually discipline now yeah, that's awesome. It, you, and as I say that, we haven't done this in over two years. So uh, thanks for the reminder that I should <laughs> reenact that discipline <laughs> when when, the, when things are safe to go out again. Yeah, yeah. How are things where you are? Uh, I'm in downtown Toronto. Um, and it's, I mean, this is pretty much ground zero for uh, for the situation. Um, but it's bad, right? But, but of course, like everybody else, we're opening up uh, quite a bit. Uh, my wife and I are a little bit more cautious than than government standard, right? But I've, I, I, we go out to eat occasionally and generally off hours and stuff. So we're slowly inching back toward the before times, uh, uh, but not quite. I haven't gone to a game store. I haven't gone. I haven't gone to a big gathering or anything like that. And we very rarely have friends over. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, that's still pretty intense. But but that'll change. That that'll. I, I can see. I I I can see that changing. I. I wish we were more like that here. I, I yeah, I get that. I, I, yeah. I in more rural areas, like I, I do get it. Like my wife lives in uh, sorry, my wife comes from New Brunswick, which is one of the Atlantic provinces uh, of Canada. And for the longest time, they had no cases, like because they they closed their borders to everybody else, so they had zero cases for a long time. So when we went to visit last summer, it was the before times. We were like, you had no idea we're in the middle of a pandemic. We still wore masks at the hotel and stuff, but it was really easy to just kind of slip back into into normalcy because there just weren't any cases around. Yeah. And that was a great reminder of like, we're really vigilant about this stuff, right? But even after a week there, I was like, there were times where like, leave the hotel, forgot my mask. I'm like, oh my God, we just slipped back into that way too easily. Right? It's really interesting how that happens. Uh, right. And I would take off my mask if we were like playing a long game with the same people at the same table because it's kind of like... Sure. Like, sure. Yeah. Or if you're outside in fresh air outside. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the first things I usually ask is how you got into board games originally, which I'm sure you've answered a million times. Uh, sure. So, so uh, yeah, I'll give you the origin. I will give you the, the uh, I try to uh, try to dress this up every differently because you're right, it is pretty canned. So my origin story is back way back in the day when I was a wee lad, I used to visit my grandmother in Germany every summer. And she lived in a small town called Neuss, which is right next to Dusseldorf, actually very close to Essen, which is where one of the big conventions are. So I'd go, I'd, we'd go to visit, and we were very close, and we played a lot of board games. But they were really bad mass-market German board games, right? Um, the one I know is a game called Mensch Ärgerdischnisch, which is German for don't get so upset. And really, it's all it is is it's it's a mix between frustration and sorry, right? It's just a bad Parcheesi variant. It's even worse than Parcheesi. It never ends. It's 
awfully boring. And it's actually still in circulation print today, but whatever. Hmm. I'm going to trash it. It's terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so because I valued this time so much, but I hated the game, I was already like, I was a creative kid and I always wanted to modify stuff, right? So I, I was like, I just started modifying it, putting robots and dinosaurs and, and make the game end. I'm like, this game's more fun when it ends. <laughs> so uh, ever since then, I've been, I, I was, even then I was messing around with stuff. I, and I would invent sports to play with my friends in school. Um, and then I hit Stratego. Stratego, when I was about 10 years old, when I discovered that, that was my first quote unquote, I don't want to say real game, but so elitist, but you know what I mean, right? It was, it was my first exposure to a strategy game by our modern definitions of what a strategy game is. And it blew my mind, completely blew my mind. This was, remember, this was like 35 years ago. So we didn't have a lexicon of game vocabulary. I was, I was like, oh, hidden, hidden deploy, sorry, secret unit deployment and stuff like that. That's how interesting. Yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't know what your stuff does. Whoa, this is, this is amazing. So I designed like a thousand variants of, of Stratego and, and, uh, and I just enjoyed doing it so much that I just kind of been doing it my whole life and then started doing it professionally or, or aspirationally professionally. After playing D and D, when I hit this is the short version. Oh yeah. <laughs> after playing D and D, after playing D and D, when I was uh, uh, I want to say sixteen, seventeen, that made me a, that made me a hobby gamer. That that blew my mind again. And, and in fact, a lot of my circle of friends to this day comes from those early D and D days. Um, and then when I discovered Magic: The Gathering, the year it came out, that blew my mind. It's like, oh my god, I can I want to do this for a living. So that is the short story. The long version could take hours. <laughs> of course. No, that was great. I like, you know, I was going to ask game design, but you tied it right in there too. So getting started on there. It's really cool to see, you know, you're one of, you're one of the big ones out there. You're, you're a huge designer. Everyone knows you, I think, and, and loves your work. So, well, not everyone. Everyone's got not to everyone. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> true. And that's, and that's totally fine. Like, 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 um, I, I know, like, people ask me, like, like aren't, like, or, or not, they don't ask, but they imply, like, aren't you upset that some people don't like your games? Like, no, absolutely. Like, I don't make games for everybody. I make games, I'd rather make a game that 100,000 people love than a million people are indifferent toward. Right, yeah. Right, and so, yeah, 100%. Like, the, um, uh, and, and I have nothing against anybody who doesn't like any of my games. They're designed to a style, and um, you either like it or you don't. Right. Sorry, I had the wrong uh, page pulled up. With my question. Oh, no worries. <laughs> so I was about no to worries. ask you what your favorite bird is. <laughs> I do have a favorite bird, in fact. Oh, well, um, let's hear it. Um, yeah, well, see, you can ask me all of Elizabeth Hargrave's questions. Um, Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so uh, not a lot of people know this, um, but I'm like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a nature kid, too. Like, my, um, my dad was part of uh, uh, several conservation societies, and our family still is. We have a conservation society in Zimbabwe, one in Namibia, and and we had one in Florida, but that kind of fizzled out. And so, like, I grew up with the with the blue book, right? The field guide to birds, the puffin one, right? And so, I uh, that one and whales and uh, and insects were the ones I got obsessed with. So, uh, the blue heron is my favorite bird by far, by far. Um, like, a because it looks cool and iconic, but I've seen. I've seen them. Uh, we used to visit Florida all the time in the summer. Uh, in the summer, when I was older, uh, sorry, not in summer. Sorry, in the in the winter for winter break when I was older, and seeing them in real life, like just seeing them in the, especially in the the just south of the Panhandle, they're amazing birds. Like watching them just ha- like hang out or fish or stuff. Like they're once regal, elegant, and instantly lethal and deadly. Like their bodies are designed to be weapons. Wow, um, and that's really cool. Yeah, that is awesome. I could see why that's a favorite. <laughs> Elizabeth Hargraves going designed to be weapons. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> of course, cool. <laughs> well, your designs, a lot of them have combat and like they're exciting. They're the you know they grab a lot of people's attention for that, but they're also, you know, they're not mindless combat. They're very clever the way you do things. Do you ever? I guess. Standard question again: Painter, sculptor, uh, you know, are you adding things or are you taking away things when you start designing? Oh, um, uh, so yeah, it's interesting. I I I don't remember being asked the painter sculptor question um, exactly framed exactly that way. Uh, neither, I guess. I mean, like, I guess I could pretentiously say I'm a bit like Michelangelo, where I'm like, I I I just keep chipping away at 
I see the game and I keep chipping away the negative space until the game exists. But even that's not really super true. I, I'm inspiration focused, so I'll usually come up with I'll come up with something that uh, some part of the game that's vivid, right? That's super vivid, and it's, and it's always focused on people at a table. And so at some point, I'm imagining like as you you mentioned, right? My games are I generally like games that are over the table interactive, player to player focused, right? Where the game facilitates. Um, and so the I am usually envisioning some kind of interaction between players, something unique and fun that I haven't seen before or something I just get obsessed with and then sort of carve out. Like, then I'm like, uh, if I get obsessed with that, I'm like, I'm like, well, what game is this? What actually is this? And uh, that's how I work. That is the most, that is the driest way I work. But sometimes it's as simple as like with the mythic games I did, like I grew up reading different mythologies of the world from this German children's book. Um, so there was, it was really, really weird and twisted. And I had no idea. I just thought this was what it was. And so uh, my interpretation of those mythologies is where the mythic series came from. And that wasn't like any particular moment. That was just at some point I was like, why haven't I done a Viking game yet? I should do a Viking game. But I'm almost like the inspiration almost, almost never comes from like a mechanic, right? I'm never going to go to board game geek and go like, Ooh, worker placement. I wonder what I would do with the worker placement game. Almost never. Right. Um, Now, having said that, uh, recently, I've been working with a lot of co-designers, uh, a lot of new co-designers. That was one of my goals, uh, co-designers I've never worked with before. And a fair number of them are mechanics fo- focused. So I have been doing a little bit of that lately. Honestly, I haven't been enjoying it, but I've been doing working with them. So I'm sort of helping them along with their exploration. And I'm actually finding myself to be the Achilles heel in that partnership because I'm like, whenever I approach things mechanically, like all I see are options. Right. Like I've been doing this a long time. So I know like I, I know how mechanics and dynamics inter, uh, interact. And so I, I like if we're only talking abstract mechanics, I'm usually the guy like, like, well, all right, well, here's a million ways this can work. Here's a million ways this can work. Anything spark like, yeah, it works. Do we care? I don't know. Like, why don't we just keep exploring options? And that is not enjoyable to me at all. Like yeah. I enjoy I enjoy the focus, the inspiration based focus. Like I see a target. I go for that target. And if we don't hit it, or if I get distracted, or I see a squirrel or something, then I'll go to something else. <laughs> I've heard you talk about playing games, or uh, making games based on emotion rather than intellect, or playing games, or both ways, I guess. Do you design that way? I mean, not consciously, but but uh, yeah, like like somebody once said, um, I, I, rem- I wish I remember who, uh, it was probably Wolfgang Kramer. Almost every wise thing I've ever said comes from him. <laughs> but um, like somebody once said, like, like players... Players think they play games because it makes them feel smart, but they, um, sorry, players get play games because it makes them think, but players really play games because of how it makes them feel, right? And that, that's universal, that's almost any activity you do, but it's true, right? Like, uh, you, you can run any puzzle, any complex puzzle, like, to make you just, to make you only think, but why are you playing games? Why are you playing with other people? There are other factors at play, right? And that's, and it is, it is emotional at the at the end of the day, like what specific, I don't sit down and like brainstorm, what emotion am I chasing now? I want to game to make you afraid. To me, that's mechanics focused design, but just for EQ rather than IQ. But if I get inspired by something, yeah, the, it is the, I chase it based on how it makes me, uh, based on how it makes me feel and whether it ignites my passion or not. Um, and then I use the, the intellectual part of it just comes from decades of training and experience Right. So I just like I do like Richard Garfield, I designed by gut 100 percent. But I know that having done this for a long time, my gut's pretty honed. Mm-hmm. So I can usually put something in. I, I can usually throw a game into the subconscious for a while and then like not think about it for a week and then come back and say, all right, what you got? And boom, sometimes there's a game. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's nothing. Sometimes it's garbage. <laughs> well, sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes like, oh, I didn't think about it at all. Oh, in which okay. case it's usually, in which case it's usually a good sign for me to go. All right, I guess I wasn't that interested in this anyway. That makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. I never kind of thought of that that way. But well, not everybody works that way, right? That that's. But this is this is how I've worked, and it took me like a, a over a decade to realize that's how I work. Introspection oh, okay. is hard. Y- yeah. Well, and that's I think the way a lot of people have to do it. Like people used to tease me because I would design rule book first. And sure, that's valid. Yeah, and I've, I would feel self-conscious and I, and I would try doing it the other ways and, you know, 
this mess would come out. But then if I design rule first, it's like presentable by the time I get it to the table, you know, like, uh, so yeah, everyone designs differently. The best thing about this craft is that there are as many valid processes as there are designers. Um, and I've, I've never worked with a designer who thinks just like me. And I, and thank God for that. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. We need totally different views. We need different ways of doing it. There's no number one way. There's That's everyone's right. got different wind conditions. Everybody's got different ways to do it. You know, some people are just happy designing games for their friend, their friends or themselves. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We, you did talk about, you know, you don't design based on mechanics, but you did make, you've been making efforts recently, last couple of years, I guess, to do family weight games, mm-hmm. which I think has been a really interesting thing because it's, you know, you're known for those big fancy games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I am big box guy. That's right. Big box guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's been cool seeing that, you know, like I love Marvel United. A lot of people don't like it. I love it. Or, you know, like it's a mixed bag. Uh, you sure. know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and other games that you've done, you know, sidekicks and stuff. It, how's that been feeling? How's has the family weight games been a challenge? Um, do you feel like sometimes you make it too heavy? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so here, so here's the thing that I guess a lot of your readers don't know. I've been designing family games as long as I've been designing everything else. I've like ever since I started, like my my uh, back in the day, like even back in the FFG days, uh, I designed a game called Senator and a game called Frenzy, and I also did co-designer edit or development on several of the small what FFG called the Silverline games. Um, I love those games, right? Like I worked on Quicksand and Scarab Lords and all that. Like these are probably titles that nobody knows yet because they're like 10 years old and out of print. I've been, I've always had an obsession with this, with that weight of game, right? Like if you had to put a label on it, Gateway Plus is kind of my sweet spot, right? Um, the, 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 I love to design big games and I like to design small games, party games, but the, this, this recent focus mostly came from Ankh. Ankh uh, is a game I'm incredibly proud of. Uh, but it broke me. It's something in me broke at the end of that. Like it, after after two years of develop of designing and developing that game, uh, that of course, and that being the eighth game in a row I designed in a three year span uh, at, at CMON, something broke in me and was like, I can't do big box for a while. I need a break. I need to not be thinking about big box games for a while. I'm going to only focus on these other types of games. Um, and then I ended up broadening that to not just gateway or gateway plus, but even to mass um, because I've always loved, I've loved party games my whole life. Um, Time's up is my favorite convention game. I love taboo. I love, I love balderdash. I, I, I love these kind of games. So, but I've never liked my own ideas for them. So I'm like, I just like, why don't I just immerse more in that field and just try and try not hating my own ideas. I'm not there yet. I still hate most of my ideas for party games, but, <laughs> but I'm trying. Um, so that's challenging, but I'm working on a lot of party games with uh, with Exploding Kittens, um, and I'm having a blast doing that. Uh, for party games, I think I'm more of a developer than a designer. Um, like, I don't like the, my ideas for hooks, but I definitely, I've gotten really good at developing hooks from other people into games that deliver on the promise of that hook. Oh, that's awesome. So that that's, that's a nice place to be. Now, your question was, what's it like working on ga- um, these gateway games? It doesn't feel different to me. It just feels a little bit more focused because I'm not also working on big box games on the side, big box lifestyle games. Um, so I'm working on more games than I ever was before, but with the knowledge that the vast majority of them will never see the light of day. And I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you've talked about how you set out to kind of mentor and work with more people of color, more women. Mm-hmm. How's that been going? Uh, it's been going great. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah. Men- so I, I thought my, my original plan was I want to mentor more. Uh, I want to do more mentoring. And I, fe- I I thought that that would lead to more co-designs. But it turns out a mentor, a mentor-mentee relationship and a co-design relationship are so different. And they don't, they don't at least from my experience, they don't seem to be too concordant. So if, if once I, if I'm mentoring somebody, it's, we're probably going to keep that dynamic. Uh, and, and like I mentored a number of designers that have gone on to successful careers right now, um, amazingly successful careers like Omari Akil and Fertessa Elise. And uh, like, they, they, they're like, I like, I'm so proud of what they've, what they've been doing. I find that part very, very fulfilling. And I learn a lot from them, right? Like it's not like mentorship's a two-way street, right? It's not like, it's not, I'm not like the old man with a beard on the mountain, like passing down wisdom of the ages. Like 
it is a back and forth and I'm learning a lot from their perspectives as well, which I really, really enjoy. Partnerships, I have been, uh, I've just been broadening that a little bit. Uh, I, I've finally designed games. I, I've worked on games with women now and I've worked on uh, games of like, I've always worked with people of color, but but not that often because usually there's one or two others that were that were prominent. But now, like, I don't really think about that anymore. Like, I don't have to intentionally seek anymore. It just kind of happens naturally. Uh, that's great. That's great. Like most of the games I'm working on right now, like eight out of 10 games uh, at any given time are co-designs. Uh, and I'm enjoying that, even though most of them also lead nowhere. And that's fine. It's journey, not destination. Yeah, oh, that's really cool. I, I like hearing that. I like hearing that you don't have to seek it out. Uh, you know, I think the last thing I heard was two years ago, pretty recently after you left Simon uh, and you talked about doing that. So I didn't, I, this is the update for me. Well, so I was doing it while I was at Simon. I just wasn't very vocal about it. Cause it, like I, I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want that like Simon, like Simon's been very, very supportive of this. Right. But they don't um, like the companies of that size, especially big international companies who already have very diverse employees. They're not really into like what, what the angry kids call virtue signaling. Right. And like, and I get that, right. Like, like you don't have to sit there and brag about it. Just do it. Right. And I, I respect that point of view. And so I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be going out there and talking about it and then having Simon get the blowback for it. So I just like, I'll just do it quietly and I'll just influence opinions quietly. Yeah. And I've internalized this so much that like, like it still takes effort. I'm not, I'm not saying that like I, I can just default to where I was before, but I've internalized the I've internalized the process of just being more active and more seeking that it just comes naturally. That makes sense. Um, so, so I don't, so, I, and I think I've earned the trust of, of more, like of more marginalized communities. So like, um, which takes a while, right? So like there are more people who will come to me knowing that I'm, um, that I'm generally acting in good faith and I'll, and we'll work if we can, we'll work together if we can. That was something I wanted to talk about today. We've, you know, you've talked about vocalizing stuff more and you mm-hmm. get pretty political on Twitter which oh, I, yeah. I love seeing, but also you do, I think you genuinely see sometimes somebody trying to have a good faith argument uh, and sure. you'll, you'll engage. And even if they, you don't agree with them and you'll, I see conversations happening and, and at a certain point, sometimes they might reveal that it was not in good faith, but sure. But I really respect that you've been doing that. And I know it's been hard because apparently you've been receiving threats and, uh, and other things, right? Oh, sure. Yes. Um, yes. But, but, um, however, uh, I worked in video games for several years compared to video games. Nothing. Oh, really? It was nothing. Nah, nah. Like when I was like, uh, and that's a statistics thing, right? Like, I'm, I don't want to downplay, I don't want to downplay like how toxic, um, um, the, the community can be sure. Of course it can. But in video game, like when I worked in, uh, I worked on um, a trading card game for two years, like Duelist, right? For two years. I got death threats once a month, right? And that's just, and that's, that has nothing to do with the political side of it. It's just like, it's a really, really large community and statistic, a very large passionate community. So statistically, there are going to be more, uh, 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 more broken actors that just lash out at you. And that's how it works. Um, But compared to, so like, I've been, my skin is thickened so much from working on those days. Like, like, like some troll coming at me on, on internet, like, fine, it's annoying. Sure. Um, it bothers me more when it, ha- it, it bothers me more when my friends get backlash from my interactions. Mm. Right. Because, because like, like the, the same trolls who won't necessarily come after me will go after friends of mine with smaller followings. So that, that has, that's the exhausting part. So I just have to be a lot more careful, a lot more diplomatic than I used to be. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Stuff you don't, I mean, obviously I don't have to think about that, which, uh, which is why I think it's important to talk about and make sure people are aware, including myself. Oh, sure. Being, being public is a blessing and a curse, right? You get, you get influence, you get like everybody, I I have a feeling that everybody, everybody kind of wants to change the world a little bit, right. To some degree. Right. And very, very few are given, are, are, are blessed with either the platform, the influence or whatever you want to call it. Um, to do something about it. And so, yeah, it's absolutely, in my opinion, it's a responsibility. If you get, if you get some influence, like if you've climbed up the ladder, it is a hundred percent your responsibility to hold it back down for others. And from an internet standpoint, like I don't want to just be the guy who gets in arguments with people online. Like that's kind of on the empty side. Right. But like, 
but the goal, it all fun, falls under the goal of just trying to elevate the discourse. If, if, if I could like, if I can improve the public consciousness, like by 0.2%, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the W there. Right. Um, uh, have I succeeded? I don't I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, we'll see. We'll keep trying. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, you have, you know, you point out I'm a white guy in Utah uh, and, and I see things, uh, you know, you get complacent because I'm surrounded oh, sure, by yeah. a, my area and, and I feel comfortable. And then all of a sudden I'll see something on Twitter and it's just like, what the heck is going on out there? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I thought we were past this. I felt safe. I assumed everybody else felt safe or I assumed everything was getting better. And then no, you know, like somebody right. brings yeah, attention. I, and I had the same experiences with like with, with like with women or or non-binary folks or trans folks especially. Oh yeah. Um, right. Um, and like I live in Toronto, right? Toronto is um, on the surface. Toronto is one of the most diverse cities in the world, and we 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 uh, like we are highly diverse and intersectional and all that stuff. And and it's general like on the surface we're good. We're really good about that, right? But um, that also like exactly what as you said. That's that it. I get complacent because I just assume everything's like that, right? And I, then I go, then I'm looking at the internet and other. Um, um, I'm like, oh, whoa, that's 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 a. That's not true everywhere, and b. Toronto's not even what we're not immune to all this bad stuff that we think is only quote unquote American, right? Like the, the those anti-vaxxer protests and and the and the trucker convoy thing, right? Like yeah. that's a nice reminder that like yeah yeah. Don't get complacent, Canada. You're you're not the utopian bastion you think you are, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that I like. I, it is a little upsetting to learn that stuff, but I find it energizing and eye opening. Like, remember, you can always improve. Exactly. I have my motto of, uh, "I'm a better person than I was last year, but a worse person than I will be next year." That's a good one. That's a good one. I agree with that 100. percent You've. I'm, I'm interested in you designing a Lovecraft game and uh-huh. and the consciousness that went into, you know, Lovecraft being a famous racist, a famous yeah. racist, if I can speak, I guess. <laughs> like A, a facist. A facist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, when designing that, how much conscious effort went into, like, just giving a giant middle finger to him for that, <laughs> you know, like... Um, is that something at all, or do you just ignore it in, in design? No. Um, uh, so look, uh, so this uh, so Lovecraft's a great topic, and it's a really deep topic. And uh, um, so, in order to treat it with the respect it deserves, I feel like it could have its whole its entire hour. But oh, the yeah, short version goes. <laughs> the short version goes like I've been designed. So I've I've enjoyed Lovecraft forever, right? Like I, I've um, ironically. I didn't try reading Lovecraft until about 10 years ago. And I thought it was kind of garbage, but I love the, like, I don't like that writing. St- I, don't, I don't like ye old, uh, like Elizabethan writing style. I don't like it. I just, I find it boring, pretentious, whatever. Same. But yeah, I love the ideas and I love, and his, he, his influence, his influence is like from Sumerian and Babylonian mythology. Like I, I, I grew up with that stuff too. His take on it was great. I loved it. I was, um, so I worked on that stuff for, uh, I mean, even as early as FFG, right? I worked on the Call of Cthulhu uh, uh, card game. Uh, and I des- and I made lots of modules for the Call of Cthulhu uh, RPG uh, by Chaosium. Back then, I didn't internalize, like, his, like I always knew he was a racist guy, right? But, but I, like, the, my, uh, my, my relationship with Lovecraft was very unsophisticated, right? I like the tentacles, I like the monsters. Cool, right? Only sort of recently, like, like I did struggle with um, like when Rob and I came up with death may die, like it was, it was me pitching to Rob, like it was me pitching to Rob going like, Hey, do you want to do a game where you just, where you just get to shoot Cthulhu in the face? And he's like, hell yeah, I do. Like, 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 let's just, <laughs> let's just do the, like, let's do the, 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 the action thriller version of this game using the tropes, using the surface tropes and stuff. But let's, but the consciousness there just went into, uh, I'm going to quote unquote ignore the racism, not by pretending it didn't happen, but by populating our universe. Like Death May Die is not is not um, the Cthulhu mythos. It's 
it's like uh, FFG's Arkham Noir series, right? They, they developed their own IP inspired by that. So we developed our own IP designed the way that somebody with modern sensibilities would like, like there were people of color and women in that time they existed and they, um, and there, so we decided, we designed a, a cool diaspora of characters with interesting backstories. And um, we just did it the way we did it. Right. And um, you could say that's a middle finger to Lovecraft. And I think it is, but, um, but I wasn't like, I didn't start the game going, let's give Lovecraft a finger. Right. It was like, it was like, let's make this really cool thing. Let's subvert the, the mythos. Right. Um, in a way that gamers would find interesting, right? Um, like, let, let's break the fundamental rule of you can't kill Cthulhu. We're like, no, no, the only way to win is by killing Cthulhu. Right. Yeah. Right. Let's awesome. see if that. Let's see if that flies. And I knew that was going to be divisive, and that that got me excited. Yeah. Did you get much lash like uh, kickback on that? Oh my god, yes. Oh really? my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Of course, and, and rightfully so. Right. It's a perfectly valid opinion for somebody to go. This game is. This game like pees all over the mythos. Of, yeah, yes, you're right. You're 100 <laughs> right. Like, like we're not we're not actively disrespecting it, but we are not. Um, we are, but we're not respecting uh, some of the tent poles that it's based on. Right? Of course not. We're taking the aesthetic and building a new uh, building a, uh, the aesthetic and some of the tropes and building a new universe around that. And some people would totally hate that. And that's a totally valid opinion. Yeah, I got lots of pushback on that. And of course, I got, you know, I, I as soon as I mentioned, like, as soon as you put a woman in a game that is that, that, that is not a sex object or, or that is a main character, then it, then you're political all of a sudden, right? And, and so uh, I got a lot of that too. Those I ignored, right? Those I'm like, fine, whatever. Like, um, good. I, I'm glad you're upset. Stay mad, right? Yeah. But uh, I have nothing against like anybody who has legitimate, who legitimately doesn't like this treatment of the IP. Sure, of course. But, like it's not for everybody. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's that's a good approach. I don't think I've ever heard anybody knock the game. Like everybody that's actually played it is just loved it. Well, the game is. I mean, <laughs> uh, like, all right. Pardon me for being humble. The game is great. Like, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like. I don't. I don't say this often, but like we. We started the game like I was working with Rob and the 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 because um, Rob at the time was typecast right for being the legacy guy. And my one of the things I was sort of subconsciously trying to subvert is people going like, oh, my God, Eric and Rob doing together. They're going to blow up the doors, make the most innovative game ever. I'm like, no, no, let's just make a fun game. Let's make a fun. Let's make fun comfort food, fun, highly polished comfort food. That's just fun. Yeah. Right. And 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 that was our North Star for this game. Uh, like there's a, of course, we did a lot of innovation in the game, but most of that was in honestly in the way we like in the way we packaged it in the way we uh, in the meta. Right. The way that the game was um, the scaffolding around the game. That's where a lot of the innovation came in. Um, but, yeah, we weren't trying to invent a new genre. We weren't trying to blow the doors off. We're like, no, no, this is just fine. Yeah. Right. Let's make a summer blockbuster that. um that, that push like, and I think we did. I think we succeeded making a good summer blockbuster. Um, the development team at uh, at CMOD, led by Marco Portugal, deserves a lot of credit for this. Like, they played like the, because of how modular the game is. They played over and over and over and over and over again. And their job was um, their job was to basically take the work of two veteran designers and go, hey, like. This isn't this. You're not delivering what you promised here. You got problems here, 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 and they have to like fight for that, right? And then uh, and we have to fix it around them. They basically have to. Uh, and kudos to them for standing up. And I think it was um, it was great. Like like de- like developers never get enough kudos. And in this particular case, uh, you can see Marco's fingerprints all over it. So uh, great job. That's awesome. That's good to know. A little insight there. Uh, kind of along those lines, is there a game of yours that you, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I want to say like to play, like, hopefully you like to play all of them because you di- design stuff you like, but like, is there a, a kind oh, of, Oh, that's not true. That yeah. There's, yeah. there are games of mine that I, I can't, I don't enjoy at all anymore. Oh, okay. Um, or, 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 or at all. Uh, I've definitely get, played games 
that I am neither proud of nor enjoy. Uh, and some games, <laughs> no. some games I'm proud of and don't enjoy. And some games I'm both I'm proud of and enjoy. Um, and some games that I enjoy, but I'm not proud of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much all over. I've covered all four quadrants there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and I'm sorry, your question was do I, like games of mine that I enjoy. Yeah. Like is yes. there something you still play pretty often or. Yeah. So there's a sweet spot I've noticed. Um, like right after a game comes out is the period I hate it the most because that I have the most development trauma around it. Right. Ankh is in that place right now. Right. Mm. Yes. I stopped working on it a year ago, but the development trauma of that game is still very fresh. Right. Like, like when I play that game, all I see is the months and months and months of like unfun we had to play through to get to where it is now because that that game is that game is so precariously and finely balanced that like anything changed would be completely off the rails and terrible Ooh. i played all those terrible versions right so, right right so ptsd a hundred percent right so i take it i i, I i'm proud of it and I, I i'm going to enjoy it again in a few years but right now uh-uh, don't want to play it Blood Rage, it's been long enough. I can play it for fun. Like, I don't remember most of the development anymore, which is interesting because in that game, I was the designer and the developer. I didn't even have a development team. It was just me and Tiago Ranias, my producer. Um, it was a it was a two-man operation. Um, and so, like, even though I... Um, uh, even though I, I was more traumatized by the uh, development of that game, it's been long enough. I'm like... I, I can I can look at the cards and actually honestly go like like what the hell is the designer thinking right like <laughs> I can actually play with that kind of detachment. Rising Sun almost there, almost there. Um, so uh, God, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but Rising <laughs> Sun is a game I am intensely proud of, but I don't enjoy it as much as as much as I would like. And it's nothing to do, like I love the game. I love the game. I'm proud of the game, and I love the way the game comes together. I'm just terrible at it. I'm awful at it. Like <laughs> as a player, it is one of the three games I've designed that I'm the worst at. And I, I just, I can't win. I cannot win that game. And, and there's a, like, like I know winning is not the only reason to enjoy a game, but if you always lose, that diminishes a little bit. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so I don't enjoy it as much as I, as I could, I think I still play, uh, I, I've gotten back into Dice Masters. Um, oh. uh, it's been a long time. Um, like Dice Masters, it's, it's been so long that like I can just play it for fun. Like if, if you come to me with a if if you come with me with Dice Masters, I'll play anytime. Yeah, those are the examples I can think of like off the top of my head. Um, but right now, um, I have two out of God knows how many games in development that they're not even finished yet, and I'm playing them for fun. Oh, awesome. Like, just for fun. Like, we're done development. We don't need to work on it anymore. But I'm just playing it for fun. Yeah. Even with all the trauma. Uh, and I'm like, it's uh, I, it's almost a little sus, <laughs> to be honest. Like, almost like you've been lulled into a false... Like, you have this false sense right. of confidence about it. Because it's like, I really enjoy this still. Well, I'm trying to pretend it's it's a published game by somebody else, right? Oh, okay. Um, uh, uh, right? And... Uh, um, uh, which has given me permission to not want to change everything all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm in, so I'm getting to enjoy it on that level. But but that doesn't happen often, to be honest. Um, with my big box games, because they're so long, right? Like having to play a game that you know has problems for an hour and a half is is just not fun, right? But being able to play a 30 minute game where you can just go, oh, I stop, right? Like they're just as hard to develop, but. Uh, they're easier to iterate, in my opinion. They're much easier because I can just say, no, we're done. Stop. Right? Just uh, stop. We'll cycle again. Go. Yeah, that makes sense. I always go outside of board games, get to know people outside of sure. board games. Uh, so what kind of things are you into outside? For Twitter followers, they'll know this. But um, so uh, I was a musician before I was a game designer. Uh, and so I'm I'm deeply into music. I've been playing, uh, I've been playing guitar since I was 10. Uh, I played bass and drums for, for several years. Uh, I compose, write, play, and uh, and record music. And no, the answer to the follow-up question is, hell no, I'm not showing that to anybody. That's for me. That's for me. A you have no idea how much time I've spent Googling around trying to find Eric Lang music. Nah. <laughs> you can't find it anywhere. Find it. But it's, it's local only. Um, yeah. Oh, so like, are there, 
Do you play at local places? I used to play. Yeah, I played in several bands. I, I, not anymore. No, um, uh, okay. no, my chops are pretty rusty, but uh, I, I, I have to get back into shape. But yeah, I used to play in bands all the time when I was young. Uh, enjoyed the hell out of that. Um, I've also enjoyed music production too. I've been producing some younger band stuff and enjoyed oh, cool. that as well. Yeah. What kind of music do you play and like and produce and all that? Oh, sure. Uh, uh, my North Star is rock and roll. Um, I'm a rock and roll guy. Um, I love metal, blues, some kinds of jazz, um, uh, uh, some kinds of classical, but rock and rolls is the center of it, right? Uh, guitars, guitar oriented, dirty, unpolished, earthy, emotionally immature music. I love <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Do you sing? Uh, I do. Um, but, uh, yes, but I, but I say I, I, I rock and roll sing. Right. So oh, okay. like, I'm not, a, I'm not a good singer. Uh, I'm a rock, I, I, I rock and roll sing. So like in the same way that like, like Neil Young is not a good singer, but he's got a good rock and roll voice. I, I don't know if I do. I don't know if he uh, even has a good rock and roll voice, but yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. No, I'm just kidding. right, right, absolutely, right. No. So my 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 north star for vocals is actually Lemmy Kilmeister from Motorhead. Right, I love oh, okay. that. Like, right, that 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 gritty, leathery uh, uh, delivery. I love that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. You don't know this because I'm well. I'm sure you haven't listened to any of the episodes, but uh, I, I wrote the intro of this song, or the, I wrote an intro and sing. Oh, cool intro. So, oh, cool. But anyway, so guitar, music, writing, all that is like oh, really exciting. I used to play in bands and do concerts and stuff. I'd throw up before every show, and <laughs> isn't that great? Yeah. It's, I don't know. Like, like I'm pushing fifty. I'm about to push fifty, and I think um, I promised my wife actually a few years ago. When I was 50, I was going to be A, in the best shape of my life. Um, we're working on that. I don't know about that, if that's going to be true. But B, <laughs> um, B, that I was going to go pursue some of my more childish interests. And I was like, maybe, I'm, maybe I'll go to a bar and just like... Um, so my other interest is stand-up, right? Um, oh, really? I love stand-up comedy. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll go work out. Maybe I'll go work out some stand-up stuff again or, um, uh, or, or play some music. Why not? Right. I like there's something about the idea of being a 50 year old, like a 50 year old, like playing like like angry, rebellious teen music just tickles me. I, I feel like I want to do that. Yeah. Well, you still see those old punk bands coming through and doing tours and stuff. And, you know, they're in their like 50s now. You know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Henry Rollins is a great example of that. Right. Like he's in, he's older than I am, but he's like he's still got his 25 year old energy. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and people love it. Yeah, so absolutely. you could totally do that. It's, all, it's real. Right? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. What kind of stand up stuff do you do? Like, uh, you know, observational or? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, I don't think I'm particularly good at it. Um, uh, like stream of consciousness storytelling, I think is the right way to put it. So like, I just like, I'll tell stories um, colorfully enhanced. And, uh, and sometimes I get by with technician work, right? So I know how the anatomy of, I, I can anatomize a joke, but uh, but most of it is made to sound as like, as much as like, like, like old Bill Hicks or Richard Pryor uh, or in modern days, like somebody like Patton Oswalt, right? Like, I'm just going to tell you a bunch of stories. And because I know that, because I know the mechanics of stand up, it'll be funny, right? I'll get a punchline every couple of things, but I'm not as strong. Like the delivery is hard. Like I've intense stage fright. So I, it's really, um, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm good enough to actually work out in front of a non, like if I see a cell phone, I'm out of there. Right. Oh, wow. Like, right. Don't record this. No way. Yeah. I, but I totally relate to that. Yeah. Like I get terrible. Well, once I'm up there and like playing guitar and stuff, I would, I can let go, but we're right. Perform. Yeah. Performance adrenaline is a thing. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. I hopefully one day we all get to hear some Eric Lang stand up. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> we'll see. But only because tough. it's so good. It is. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it ain't good. Um, like so, 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 so stand up. I have. Um, I've said this for years. Stand up and game design have so much in common that I actually use a lot of uh, uh, stand up discipline for game design. Right, the way like unlike any other art form, right? The way that standups play test, like they are play testing when they, what they call working out is literally play testing, right? They are, they're, they're working on an act 
out of uh, out of bespoke parts, and then they they are and they hone it right from from night to night to night using feedback, right? Right. Uh, using audience feedback for it, and that um, now stand up's a little easier. Stand up uh, comes from kill me for saying this because the feedback's obvious. You get the laugh or you don't, right? With games, it's it's harder because you like whether you're having fun or not is not always visible, and and game players are. Um, uh, this is where I get in trouble again. But likely, let, let, let's be fair. The vast majority of hobby game players are somewhere on the spectrum, right? Like, uh, and, and right. Yeah. And I, and I mean that I was with say love, socially right? weird like, a little. <laughs> I, I mean that with love, right? Like, like yeah. we're 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 we are all to a degree. We're all neurodivergent to a degree, right? And so, so it's it's harder to express and tell uh, with uh, with hobby game players. So, so, but developing the instinct to tell whether somebody's having fun, regardless of how they vocalize it. I got that from standup. Oh, okay. Right. I got that from, from, from learn, like, like gauging, like watching, observing, gauging and pulling from energy. Yeah. Uh, it's a hundred percent standup technique. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's, that's clever. Sorry. We got just, I got distracted on and honed in on these things. Cause I got so excited. Yeah, it's other- all good. <laughs> yeah. What other things do you enjoy doing? Uh, I'm also a writer. Um, uh, so I use, so uh, ironically, not like, not a highbrow writer, right? I don't want to write the great American novel. I'm obsessed with uh, the screenplay form. I love, like, I want to be a genre TV writer forever. Like, I just want to write cheesy genre TV. Mm-hmm. Love the form. I've written several scripts. I've worked, uh, in fact, huh. I don't know if I should say this, but I'm sure if you search the internet hard enough, I, I made home like I, I made home movies that were done with like uh, with 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 friends in the studio. They're bad. They're all bad, but um, <laughs> but uh, they're probably out there somewhere. Uh, I, I filmed a bunch of a bunch of television shows, some shorts. Um, I, I, I love that form. I don't know if I ever want to go back to it, but I definitely enjoy the uh, I enjoy the act of creating a script. Do you still uh, write scripts and stuff now? Not really, um, and that's uh, that's pandemic. I think I just I'm not inspired really to 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 write. Also, I burned out unfortunately um, when for when I was working for Fantasy Flight. Um, uh, I I wrote all of the web content for uh, for the collectible card games I was working on. So I had a weekly column that that was my outlet, right? And I enjoyed that. I w- I wrote it for like three years uh, for two collectible card games for Game of Thrones and Call of Cthulhu. I really enjoyed that, but I burned out so hard um, wow. doing that. I still haven't recovered from uh, from writing to that kind of schedule. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't think you, I think you you have to search the Wayback Machine to find it now. But yeah, I've got I've got years worth of column writing um, in, in somewhere on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's still on FFG, right? No, no, it's way back in the machine now. Like the, they oh. they yeah since um, since. God, almost ten years ago, they 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 uh, archived all of their uh, all of their stuff for out of print games. Didn't know that. Yeah. Well, what about video games? You mentioned video games and playing video games during the pandemic. What are you still playing? Sure. Yes. Um, yes, but not so much for fun. Um, so I've 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 been working on video games in the uh, on the side. Uh, unfortunately, all for stuff I can't talk about. Okay. Um, but I had to do a lot of most of what I've been playing. Like I play on Steam a lot. Um, and so I've become definitely a, a very cult of the new, um, like, I just want to explore a game. I'll play it for an hour. Uh, and otherwise, um, I, I have to admit, I'm not a big fan of most video game genres nowadays. Um, just personally, like the, they're doing excellent work. I'm just not a big fan of it. I love roguelikes though. Um, I love modern roguelikes. Um, I love like Slay the Spire was mwah, right. Chef's kiss. And I played all the, uh, Hades. Oh my God. I'm terrible at it. Hades is my rising sun. I don't actually enjoy it because I'm terrible at it, but I love it. Yeah. Right. I played storybook brawl. I played uh, a rogue book, uh, um, FTL. And, and like, I, I, I love that genre. That's probably my favorite genre of game right now. Cool. Um, and of course I love on, I still love online uh, card battlers. Like Hearthstone is still a favorite of mine. I played room Terra for a while. I'm a big fan of like essentially tabletop inspired video games. Yeah. Um, but the, but the ones that, the ones that actually use the video game medium to do, uh, to create really cool new experiences. I mean, Hearthstone did a great job of that, right? 
Hearthstone started off as magic inspired, but has become its own game, right? It's a, it's, it is like, there's a reason why you'll never see a Hearthstone paper card game, right? Like it, right. It's, it is, it is, it is native to its medium and I love it for that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, well, let's go to ridiculous theme. I didn't tell you, I don't think I told you anything about this, so. Oh, I love it. You're going to have nope, to come up with on the spot. Um, so okay. in ridiculous theme, we both come up with an idea for something okay. we would think would be a ridiculous theme for a board game, which doesn't mean bad. It's not mean spirited. Sure. It's just, sure. you know, something silly, you know, like potty training a child. That's a sure. ridiculous theme. So, yeah. Sure. Uh, I can go first if you want a minute to think. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you'll go first. Okay. Because... <laughs> Like, I'm going to probably riff off yours, to be honest, but we'll, oh, okay. we'll, see, we'll see where we go. <laughs> so I had this idea um, for Cat Colony, which would be like having a social hierarchy hierarchy of cats, and mm-hmm. but they would all be like feral cats, you know, living in the city. And so mm-hmm. you have hunters that have to go and hunt, uh, avoid getting spayed and neutered because you want to reproduce. But then also you've got to sacrifice some of those because... If you let it go too far, you're going to hunt the bird pop. All right, so I got it. Oh, for you. you got it. So, so your game is called Meowfia, <laughs> um, right? Yes. And it's and it's actually a mob game using uh, using cats, right? Uh, using the way cats work because because we all know cats are kind of evil. I, I say this as a cat lover, right? Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a big racketeering. It's a big racketeering game um, where the 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 thing that makes it different from all other mafia games, of course, is that mafia the, the most mafia games rely on a, a cohesive, well-oiled unit, right? Uh, with a very, very clear hierarchy. Well, cats are all um, extremely individualistic and like, y'all don't tell me what to do. So really what you're doing is you're running a mafia empire where everybody else is like, y'all don't know me, I do what I want. And so you have limited control over your cat mafia empire and chaos ensues. It'll be amazing. That's so good. <laughs> Look at yeah, there's that developer side of you, huh? Oh, I love I I love uh uh yeah, I I love coming up with um yes, I I, I love coming up with like ridiculous names, cool themes and and uh, uh I could visualize this though. Yeah, that's so cool. And, and any of your readers, the idea is free. It's out there. You want to make this game, go for it. I'll happily play it. I know I always say that. I always think that like one day I want to do a contest of ridiculous theme and have people make ridiculous themes based on like things that me or the guests say and, and see who makes the best thing or just, I don't know. It doesn't even matter because really it's just making fun games and it doesn't have to be a winner in that, but. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love. Um, and the funny thing is, so when you say ridiculous themes, um, most of the ridiculous, the- like if, if I'm inspired by a theme, it's usually a ridiculous theme. And so like, like, uh, like anything I throw you is probably something I'm working on right now as we oh, speak, okay. right? <laughs> right? Like, like, look, look, uh, here, I'll, spoiler alert. Um, so, uh, so I'm currently working on a game. Uh, I actually have a, 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 a very mass market game called I Heart Manatees uh, because I'm, I'm obsessed with manatees. Um, and it's essentially a roll and move game, essentially, um, uh, where you're trying to get uh, where you're, um, where you and your and the other players are swimming along a river, trying to catch selfies of yourself uh, with really awesome manatees and not let them get run over by uh, boats and other horrible human activity. The rules are one page. It's a uh, it's a uh, fifty sorry. Uh, it's a hundred and ten deck of hundred ten cards, and and adorable little manatee meeples, <laughs> and a little and a little player board for your selfie board. That's it. It's super simple. Um. And it's it, it turned out to be. Uh, I'm saying that I'm telling you this uh, because I'm I'm going to start pitching it out to uh, pitch out to publishers. Oh. And I was thinking, the reason I'm saying this publicly is because there's a couple of games I'm thinking of doing uh, as an experiment a little bit in, a little bit more in the public space. So like I'll just start talking about a game or even showing off a game publicly even before I I send it to publishers to give a little bit more um, to sort of demystify the creative the 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 back end of the creative process, so they so people can get a get a nice get a bigger glimpse into what's going on, uh, like at at this level of design, right? I know this is not how it's it's not going to work this way for for uh, like rookie designers, but like 
I don't, I love behind the scenes stuff, right? Whenever yeah. I watch like movies and stuff, I devour all the, all, all the special, uh, special foot, uh, special features, right? I love that stuff. So there's probably a, certain, a segment of the audience who would like, who would like to see that. Oh yeah. Um, so this, this might be one of the two or three games that I'm, uh, that I do that with. Um, that the, the game came to me because of like, I want to make a game called I heart manatees. Um, and that's it. That was the whole premise, right? That was the whole premise oh, I love uh, because that. manatees, it, they are an obsession animal of mine. Okay. Um, and, and, and so like they are the pandas of the sea, right? They're also like really, really chill and lazy and just, um, <laughs> and a, a little derpy, right? But they're also adorable and, and harmless. And if you swim with them, like, which I used to do in Florida all the time, if you don't know where they, like, if you're swimming in a river and you don't know there's manatees there and you, all of a sudden you see one of these things are huge right? It's scary as hell, right? You're like, what the hell did I just like, what's in here? Is this yeah. the Loch Ness monster? Is it a whale? Like, no, it's a manatee, right? <laughs> and then you get booped and you're fine, right? Oh, um, cool. I've never done that. That sounds incredible. Oh, they're amazing. Uh, it's, they're the best thing about Florida. <laughs> That's not hard, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, oh gosh, hopefully we don't get in trouble for that. <laughs> Uh, you, you said uh, it's funny. I, I actually, I have to, I have to admit, like, I know Florida has a lot of problems. I, I grew up around Florida and we, we, we um, like there, there, I, I have an unapologetic problematic love of Florida. I know that it has politics that I abhor, but oh, Jesus yeah. God, it has a vibe unlike any other state. That's one thing I love about the U S like, even though I criticize you all a lot, like fair. there's like, I criticize out of love, right? Like, like, you are a collection of 50 individual countries with that all have their own vibe and they're so unique and somehow it all kind of works kind of. Yeah. Um, and I, and I've been to many of these States and I, there's, I've never been to a state ever where I, where I could say I didn't like anything about it. There was always something unique about that state that I absolutely love. Right. And, and, and the people have a lot to do with it. Like individually, I love most people that I've encountered in every state I've been to. Nice. Yeah, people, I think, try to be good wherever you are. Individually, people are great, right? As um, a collective. It, it's, uh, politically, like, yeah, political systems are, systems are problematic and we interact problematically with them. So that's... Yeah. Uh, what a, what a way to end a, a podcast about a game design, right? Systems yeah. are problematic. <laughs> that's a person who makes systems. That, that's how I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, I did forget one question. What's your favorite mini from your ga- one of your games? Do you have a favorite mini? I do, actually. Um, uh, uh, my favorite mini... Oh, uh, hmm. So it's actually not my game anymore because they actually redesigned it. Um, uh, but it doesn't matter. I've, I've worked on it for a while. So there's a game, Trudvan, um, which is a, 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 a adventure, um, a storytelling adventure game that has a uh, one of the heroes' name is Felarian, who is uh, the bard, who is named after Fel, uh, Fel Barros, who is a senior de- uh, designer at Simon. Uh, and he and I worked on the original version of this game. And he, um, the mini just has the most like he's a big barbarian with the most adorable and pronounced pot belly that you'll ever see. Like, and, and, and you could, the, here's the thing you could see it across the table and you'll know it's him from the pot belly. And it's just, it's, it's charming. It's adorable. And, um, uh, I, I love it. I love every part of it. Um, miniatures are really hard, right? Because, um, they, they, like you read them by silhouette or, or you read them by significant details. Right, and so a lot of minis, like especially good ones, do don't do this well because they're just over detailed or they just look like a mess of nice stuff. Right. I love the iconic, simple stuff. Right, I mean, you know, as the guy worked on Arcadia Quest, uh, etc. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Eric, for coming on. It was so much fun getting to chat with you, and I hope to have you on again sometime in the future. If this is your first time listening, stick around until the very end. He's going to share a fond memory, and I love it. If you enjoyed the show, you can leave a review, share it with your friends, share it on your social media, spread it around. I really enjoy doing this. I would do this if there were no listeners, because I just get to talk to awesome folks in the community. Speaking of which, if this is your first time listening... 
go through my back catalog and look at the names and you'll probably see somebody that you're interested in learning more about. I had Elizabeth Hargrave two episodes ago. Last episode, I had Jess Metheringham. She has a Kickstarter right now, Library Labyrinth, and the game looks awesome. So go check that out. It's almost kind of like a dungeon crawler-esque game set in a library where all the heroes are female characters in literature and history. And the design team is also all women. And yeah, it's really exciting. So go check that out and support more women in our industry. On March 16th, I will be on the Tabletop Express on YouTube live at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Brian Chandler, who was on a little while ago, he'll be sharing his top 20 favorite games, and I'll just be hanging out there, reacting to it, chatting, and having fun. So you can join that live, or you can watch it afterwards. I also do another podcast. It's an actual play podcast of Borderlands tabletop RPG Bunkers and Badasses. Yes, they made a real one by Nirvana Games. It's so good. I had the lead designer, Ian Moss, on, and he was awesome, and and just wonderful. The game is wonderful. We have so much fun doing it. We laugh. I'm the BM, aka Bunker Master, and I have four friends that are the vault hunters, and I just lead them through the story. And a lot of it is improv because I never know what they're going to do, and they don't know what I'm going to do. It's just a blast. So that's called Friend and Foe Adventure Co. Please go check it out. It's explicit so if that bothers you don't listen to it and that's okay but it really is a comedy podcast at its core while playing borderlands i mean that's the theme of borderlands is comedy while playing video games you know while having an adventure and i i love that so much so eric had a meeting he had to get to so he didn't plug anything but i think he's most active on twitter so you can follow him at eric underscore lang and then you can follow me on twitter at riled nerd And if you want to get in touch with me, you can just DM me there, at me there, or you can email me, theboardgamecommunityshow at gmail.com. And that is it. Until next time, keep nerding out. Years ago, I was at uh, I was at Gen Con, right? Uh, Gen Con is the is the big big biggest game convention I think in the world in Indianapolis. So the, the show goes on during the day. There's like sixty thousand people in a showroom, and it's it's fun but exhausting. You don't get a lot of face to face time. When the show is over, sorry, at the end of the day, I usually go out with like industry friends or or, or company. We go out for dinner. Uh, we went to this one steakhouse with some of the people from Simon. And uh, I went out for uh, I went out with a uh, with a friend of mine who wanted to go out for a cigarette break. As I was out there, I saw a uh, I, I saw a couple um, with this adorable little girl. She must have been like eight years old in a Wonder Woman costume, except she had a Captain America shield. You know, I was I did the like, oh, you here for the convention, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And they're like, wait, are you Eric Lang? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, we like your games. Like, we all like your games. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I asked the you know I asked the the, the girl like, what's your favorite game? She 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 goes into post. She goes blood rage. <laughs>